Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. It's the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson. What's up, you guys? It's Kelly. And no, this is not a solo podcast. Phew, right? You know, I do not like those, even though every now and again, I just feel the need to speak to you guys. This is actually an introduction into a podcast that I was a guest on. And I just wanted to give you guys a little bit of a backstory so that it made more sense when you jumped into the podcast. So we all have patterns when it comes to love, to relationships, to dating, even to self-love and the ways we attach. I've actually recently been listening to Monica and Jess Love Boys. If any of you guys listen to Armchair Expert, hello, Chip. Uh, This is a little subversion of that podcast where two people have experts on and they face their patterns in love in hopes to change what's no longer serving them. One doesn't date at all and has never been in a long-term relationship. That's Monica. And then Jess has had a few long-term relationships, but for the past few years has just been having sex with anyone and everyone and avoiding dating at all because of a fear of rejection. So it's two sides of the same coin, and it's a coin that I relate to differently, but also the same. A few months ago, I was a guest on a podcast called Journals of a Love Addict with licensed therapist Jody White. Jody has been a guest on this podcast twice now, and once I revealed to her that I was evaluating my relationship with alcohol, she had a couple more questions about why. <laughs> uh, yes, for me, the way I was using alcohol in the past couple years and my patterns in relationships became very connected. That hasn't always been a, a connection or something that I've faced, but I became very aware of it drastically in my last relationship. So Jody connected the dots, asked me to be a guest on her podcast to talk about why I was taking a break from alcohol and also to talk about my own love addiction. As we mentioned in this podcast, the word love addict or even the other side of that coin with love avoidant, like I mentioned earlier, are very hard words to digest. Mostly for me, that's because these descriptions don't always feel like what this stuff actually is or looks like. So identifying as a love addict, it doesn't necessarily mean you're just addicted to love. Although for some people, it could look like that, like it could look like constantly needing to be 
in a relationship or have some version of a love relationship or person in your life or just chasing after people for a relationship. I'm personally typically single for quite some time between relationships. So for me, the quote unquote love addiction looks a lot like major codependency and self-abandonment. It gets really activated in relationships with unavailable partners. And I've been in a pattern in my adult life of continuing to choose unavailable partners, whether they're unavailable because of active addictions, workaholism, addiction to busyness, social media, cell phones, other women, or if they're just emotionally distant, whatever the cause of their unavailability really activates my fear of abandonment every time. And that's what all of these patterns are. It's old attachment wounding that if left unaddressed shows up as dysfunction in our most intimate relationships. I'm choosing to share this part of my story because for one, the chaos and unmanageability of my life the last couple years was pretty public. Um, I couldn't show up in my life the way I intended to or needed to because I just wasn't taking care of myself, which I've been very open and talking about on social media and then also on this podcast. But the second reason and the most important one to me is that I always have hopes that my vulnerability and sharing my story will help even one person. If it helps one person, as uncomfortable as it may be, it's worth it to me. Ultimately, I just don't believe there should be shame around looking at or working at changing our patterns in our lives that no longer serve us. However, we as humans want to judge, whether it's to feel better about ourselves, to stay in denial, to avoid fear or pain, or just stay in the one-up position. Whatever the reason, it's a very common human behavior. We all do it. I'm guilty of it myself. So what I'm asking from you guys today is to just listen. No judgment. And if you do notice yourself judging me or feeling scared by what I'm saying, or even if it pisses you off and you're just so angry listening to me talk, ask your inner knowing, what is going on with me that I feel this way right now? And don't judge yourself for whatever that answer may be. In fact, you can share them with me if you feel so inclined. And I'll also help you hold a non-judgmental space with you, for you, all of it. I just know for me that whenever I'm judging someone else, it's always about me. So I'm asking you guys to take that perspective when you listen to this podcast. One more thing. I did my best to stay on my side of the street and not involve others' stories in this podcast. It's a really hard thing to navigate. And though I know I don't do it perfectly, I truly am trying my best. This is my story and I'm sharing from my experience, though I am very human. And on a lot of days, that is just not how I want to do things. Ultimately, I do believe it's the right thing to do. Even if it's not always deserved, that's the way I'm going to continue to move forward. So I will never use names or publicly bash anyone who's previously been in my life. So if you're feeling like some parts of this are broad or vague, that's why. I'm speaking about my life and my experience and my journey. Take what you like and leave the rest. Here's my conversation with Jody. Hello, this is Jody White, and you're listening to Journals of a Love Addict. I love hearing from those of you who listen to the podcast and follow me on Instagram. 
I can't always respond to everyone, even though I really want to, because I learned the hard way that I've got to have boundaries around how much time I spend emailing and how much time I spend on social media, because it takes a lot of my energy and I need my energy in order to work with my clients and also take care of myself. And I actually read something not too long ago that helped me feel a little better about this boundary that I have to have around communication. When I finally read Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker. In her book, which is about how to address your relationship with alcohol while living in a culture that's obsessed with drinking, Holly discusses the importance of boundaries, especially when it comes to how we work and how she realized that she was overworking at making sure she responded to every single email, every text, every DM, and it was wearing her out and leading to anxiety. So she had to make a choice between operating like that or focusing on her actual work, which is writing and research, etc. And it's not an easy boundary to uphold, especially because I, and I think lots of us possibly, were raised to believe that not responding is just plain old rude. But in an age of constant contact, we've got to have those boundaries, right? But a couple of years ago, I received a particular email from Kelly of the Velvet's Edge podcast, who said she wanted me to come on her podcast and talk about love addiction. And y'all, I get so excited when I find out that other people want to discuss the topic of love addiction like this, because My goal is to spread the word and let others know this is a real thing and that if you are struggling, you're not alone. So this email led to me being on Kelly's podcast, and then I was on a second time, and I thought, hmm, I have a feeling she has a story to tell. And then recently, she shared an Instagram post about books and a photo of herself holding, guess what, quit like a woman. And I knew it was time to invite Kelly to visit with me on Journals of a Love Addict. Please welcome Kelly from the Velvet's Edge podcast, who, by the way, is also a celebrity hair and makeup artist in Nashville who has worked with some of country music's finest. We get started as I've just let Kelly know that my instincts have been telling me she has a story to tell. It's so interesting that you picked up on the topic interest. And I do think I kind of mentioned that when we were talking, like that I've been doing some of this work and just the recovery work I've been in for, I don't know, about a decade now. But Yeah, I have guests on my podcast that I'm interested in learning the information. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like this selfish way that I get to talk to these really amazing experts on certain topics. And so 
the topic of love addiction and codependency, all of those things have been in my life for so long, but I'm diving a lot deeper into that now. And so having you guys on was like my investigation into, do I need to really be doing this? Or like, Mm -hmm. you know, just trying to find out more information because my therapist has been telling me about it for years. (laughs) Yeah. But I definitely was like, you sure about that? I mean, maybe, but do I have to go that far? You know, that kind of stuff. Oh, I get it because I think, you know, when I first, well, I was in therapy for a long time, but then no one, you know, really understood codependence, love addiction so much back then. And then when it was first mentioned to me, love addiction was first mentioned to me 12 years ago. And I remember going, um, yeah, I don't know. That sounds pretty terrible. Let's just, yeah. I just want to come in and complain about my boyfriend. <laughs> Let's right. just not do that. <laughs> Can we talk about and, how terrible he is? <laughs> yeah. It's not, it's not me. It's him. Right, and, right. I mean, that really is the, you know, you can have awareness and even if your instincts are like, hello, uh, we just have this external focus that gets in the way. Cause it's like, I'd much rather folk, you know, I'm conditioned to focus out here oh, versus yeah. here. Oh yeah. I mean, that was when I first started recovery or just, I call it my recovery journey. Cause it involved a lot of therapy intensives. I do 12 step work as well, but I got into that because of a relationship that I was in with a sex addict. And so it would have been very easy for me to be like, oh, he cheated on me a bunch and like make him the bad guy. But my life had become so unmanageable and I saw myself doing things that were so out of character for me and just complete self-abandonment that there was this awareness of like, he's not the only one. Like I knew that, but I just didn't really fully understand what my part was. And so uncovering that, you know, it was like the most painful, uncomfortable journey, but like, thank God for the help and the tools that I've received through that. But this has been something I think I've tried to put off because I did start into that work a decade ago. And so I was like, am I not done yet? Like, right. You're telling me there's more. (laughs) I mean, that was super defeating at first, you know, and I just tried to avoid at all costs. Mm-hmm. And you're talking about the love addiction work, correct? Yeah, because I started um, in, I actually started my codependency work before that because I grew up in a family where both of my parents are in recovery and um, they've been on their own journeys for a long time. And so, you know, I always knew about it. And I thank God for that now because when my life started to fall apart, like I knew where to go. That's the part of the work that I want to do on my podcast is kind of helping people understand that what they're experiencing is actually really normal or, you know, it's not so isolated to just you. And here's where you can go to find the help you need. Because I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people just don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. So I was really lucky that I knew where to start, but the work that I had been doing before, it was kind of hitting ish, you know, I mean, obviously like, There's some childhood stories that I was getting into and kind of understanding a little bit about why I did certain things or why I was maybe a people pleaser, but it felt a little more like surface. And so then when my world fell apart with that relationship that I just mentioned, we were engaged and I found out three months before the wedding, like there was just a full, he was cheating the whole time because of his own stuff. And when I found that out, it wasn't like all of my friends wanted to just be like, well, he's just an asshole. Right. But like, right. because I had started to dip my toe in and because of what I had seen my parents going through, like, I just knew I was like, there's just something more here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but you told me you were, uh, since October, right. You have been 
addressing your relationship with alcohol. That's what I call it. Yes. <laughs> um, October 30th is the last time I've had a drink. So for me, that's a really long time. What is this? Four and a half months later. Yeah. I don't know when this podcast is coming out, but when we're recording it, yeah, it's now it's March. So yeah, you know, what's so interesting is I feel like I've had this intuition that at some point in my life, alcohol was not going to be there anymore. Mm -hmm. I've known it like in my body. And I used to have these like visions of me as an older woman and just like living my life. And I just knew like I was (laughs) in these visions. I'm always like gardening or like, I don't know, taking care of plants of some sort. I have no idea why, because I kill every plant I own. So I'm (laughs) not sure that's the vision (laughs) too. (laughs) Um, But alcohol, like my life in that vision is very much like me drinking a tea. You know, it's like alcohol just isn't present. Mm -hmm. And I've always had this weird like, huh, I wonder why. Because I work in the music industry. Alcohol is everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's it's a part of every activity we do. I grew up in Louisiana. Like that is also mm-hmm. part of the culture. And so it's just been around my life for so long. And so much so that like I don't really think I think like when I first started therapy, you know, we discussed it and she put parameters on me. But I actually remember she said, you know, when I first start working with people, my therapist is awesome, by the way, but she she said, when I first start working with people, we I like to remove alcohol for the first six months. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. And she said, okay, we can talk about parameters, but I would like to invite you to notice your reaction to that. Yeah. And immediately my first thought when she said that was, what will I do when I go on the road with my artists? Because like we mm-hmm. go to these big dinners or I'm at parties or just at the show, you just drink, you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, they're going to all think I'm crazy. Like I'm already doing all this work. I'm going to feel so isolated. Like how will I ever have fun in my life? You know, it was just kind of that reaction. And so we ended up putting this two drink maximum on my first six months of working with her. And it was great for me in that it helped me to understand a kind of like a crutch, like alcohol Mm -hmm. is a crutch, like how I was using it. And so I did develop a different relationship with it at that point. Um, I would say over the next decade, it probably just like, I don't know, normalized a little bit where I was like, not so hardcore on just two drinks or, you know, and then I would go back to partying with my friends on the road and in my industry and just in general, the same way that I used to. But what happened the past couple years was that, you know, with the pandemic hit, Um, I got in a relationship where alcohol was like just a fixture of daily life. And I personally was facing so many big betrayals. I had, I was on this TV show for a while and I had like major public humiliation about and lies being told about me that hit in a different way that I've ever experienced because I was getting like death threats and crazy stuff. Reality TV fans are really intense. I had no idea about this. It sounds yes. horrible and traumatic. This is terrible. <laughs> this was happening to me while this was right. This hit in my life right before the pandemic hit. And so then once the pandemic hit, you know, the music industry went away. And so all of my work went away. It was very, very stressful. And then my relationship, we were kind of tumultuous. And what I realized was that because I was searching so desperately for some sort of consistency, foundation, normalcy, less anxiety, all of it, I was using alcohol to kind of just like medicate and push all those feelings that I was actually feeling down because it was too much. And it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't go there yet. Like I couldn't, even with all of the work I've done, 
all of the tools I have, all of the support systems I have, I was just not prepared to feel that much pain all at once. And so mm-hmm. I was using alcohol to not have to do that. Yeah. I mean, it, and it can quote unquote work for a little while like that. Yeah. You temporarily. Know? I mean, I think there was definitely that piece still for me too, of like searching for normalcy. Like mm-hmm. when I look at other people, I have a, a comparison is like kind of one of my mm-hmm. character defects. And so I can look at other people and I'm like, well, they do it. So like, even though my body and my mind and my soul are telling me this isn't the way to go, look at the people around me, they're doing it. So surely it's fine, you know, or it's fine. Like I just kind of will do that kind of stuff. And so it was in my energy field. Like I knew, I think my Mm -hmm. body always knows before my mind will accept things, but I really wasn't willing to accept it until I got into a really bad place in that relationship and saw how much it was keeping me in the relationship and and in my addiction stuff Mm -hmm. to keep drinking. Yes. And I don't identify as an alcoholic as much as I just said all the stuff I said. (laughs) Like, I don't go to or identify as an alcoholic, but it ties into all of my other stuff. And that's what I've realized. If you know anything about me, you know I am a massive creature of comfort. It is one of my top priorities in life to make my surroundings comfortable at all times. So when I found Cozy Earth, I quickly scooped up all of the luxurious bedding and loungewear that I could. It felt very on brand for me, but then I went on a trip with a girlfriend not too long ago where she could not stop commenting on how cute and comfy my pajamas were, which then made me realize they may also be my new favorite travel companion as well. Guys, I am not kidding when I say you will experience unmatched softness and smoothness with all of Cozy Earth's products. The temperature-regulating bamboo joggers and pullover crew add comfort and a touch of style to any travel ensemble, and their bedding comes in the most adorable totes, making it a super easy gift to give anyone. Discover your next destination for ultimate comfort at Cozy Earth. Visit CozyEarth.com and use our code Velvet's Edge at the checkout for an exclusive 35% off and let them know we sent you when you're at the checkout. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. 
because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, I, I agree with that. And I actually have gotten to the point and even over the last few years where I just, I, don't, I think the term alcoholic is just outdated and yeah. uh, we used it a long time ago to help us understand something, but now it just, you know, the spectrum of like gray area drinking, you know, mm-hmm. it's, there's, it's such a broad topic and everyone's relationship with alcohol can look unique and be for unique reasons. And, um, you know, the term alcoholic is just, it doesn't fit anymore. It's I, I think I so. totally agree with that. And if mm-hmm. we're, if we were still using the term alcoholic, I'm like, okay, well then every single person in my life is an alcoholic. I, it's, you know, yeah. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just so that's what that book that I posted about quit like a woman. She talks about that. Like, it's just so normalized to Mm -hmm. drink alcohol, to be a binge drinker, to do all the things that our society just like praises as to what to do after a long day. Or it's like the only way we learn how to, to cope with life. And, um, if you really look at the behaviors and then you like know anything about alcoholism, it's like, wait a second, these Mm -hmm. things look a lot alike. Right. Yeah. And, you know, you were just saying about comparison and that was me too. It's like, well, I don't drink as much as they do. So I must not be that bad, you know? Right. And I think that's also though, when we do have childhood wounding or mother hunger or codependence and, you know, uh, symptoms, we, it's again, that external focus. And so we're just looking for something to kind of make sense to us or some sort of guidance on something versus being able to know ourselves. That's one of the issues is we, you're saying you felt it in your body. You knew instinctually, intuitively that alcohol wasn't good for you. It wasn't a fit, but, but you know, it is so normalized. So there's that part too. So our brain is telling us no big deal. What's the big deal. Right. But then also looking around us, well, they're doing it. And so, but still we're ignoring that inner voice that's saying, it's just not a fit for us. It yeah. just doesn't work. And as silly as it sounds, it's like that feeling maybe we all had in junior high and high school where you're like, I just want to fit in, you know, mm-hmm. and like as silly as that is, as an almost 40 something year old woman, there's definitely a part of me. I mean, I experienced it this last week and I was in Vegas for a work trip and I'm the only one not drinking in Vegas, obviously. And so <laughs> it's isolating, you know, and I'm finally like sturdy enough in my own self at almost 40 to say like, okay, well, I can be different and that's okay. But it's it's hard. And I mm-hmm. think it's like the one thing that a lot of us really have, you have to be really secure in who you are and your relationship with yourself and your higher power or whatever it is to not want to just be like everyone else and not stick out, you know, mm-hmm. like because you're doing something different. Right. Because you're, you're taking care of yourself and doing things differently. You're right. Yeah. And it's, to me, it's not, doesn't sound silly at all because we, we need slash want to belong. We want to, you know, so 
of course we want to do things that help us fit in and get, get that approval, or, you know, from others. And so I think it totally makes sense. And for people who are starting it at almost 40, for almost 50, almost 60, I mean, I work with people who are looking at this for the first time in their 50s, 60s. And yeah. I think it's so amazing. And and they also feel silly, you know, like here I am at 65 still wanting this, or here I am, you know, still wanting to fit in. And it's like, it's just, we're human. And so, yeah. mm-hmm. but it takes a lot of courage. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I, I, that's interesting. Cause that's been some of the feedback I've gotten, or actually it's what everyone says to me is like, wow, that is so impressive. Well, you know, while they take a sip of their drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, so a part of what I think I'm trying to talk about publicly with it is just, just normalizing, not drinking too. Like I actually I'm not trying to tell anyone not to drink. Like your relationship with alcohol is completely yours to discover and think about and and figure out. But I just think it's interesting that the norm is to drink. And then the abnormal thing is to not drink. Like why? Where do how do we get there? Why is that the thing? Why is it so crazy when someone says, I just want, you know, a water? Uh, I love that your therapist had initially said, I like to have boundaries around drinking the first six months that we work together. And that really goes with, you know, Pia Melody's way of doing mm-hmm. things too. When she, she really talks about, okay, when we're starting work on codependence um, symptoms and love addiction to remove any other, what she calls addictions or addictive behaviors, because that's going to distract you from doing the work. And one of those is alcohol and, um, alcohol and love addiction, you know, self-medicating with alcohol and even disordered eating gets in there very often too. But I just based on my own experience, it was the alcohol helped me stay in my love addiction really. Yeah. Because yeah. Cause it also, it led to so much shame. I was self-medicating all the terror, all the anxiety, which then caused me to feel shameful because I would end up doing or saying something I didn't mean to do or say. And then I would be stuck in this spiral of shame, you know, inside my spiral of love addiction. (laughs) It's so true. And like, for me, specifically in my last relationship, I would get in a terrible shame spiral, just like you described, because I would try to make my feeling like it was like, I would have a new awareness or I would recognize a red flag. I would try to discuss it. It wasn't there. What that wasn't happening in the relationship Mm -hmm. I was in. But instead of saying, Hey, like this isn't going to work for me, or this, this kind of dynamic is not healthy for me. This is what I would need to stay. All of these things. I would just get so scared of, Oh my God, the relationship is going to end. And I could not process that, especially because I had all that other stuff going on in my life. And so to stay, I would have to make the feelings go away. Cause it's like, you know, that yeah. statement, it's like, once you know, you can't unknow. Well, mm-hmm. I know a lot, like I've mm-hmm. done a lot of work. I have a lot of knowledge about addiction, especially like toxic relationships, trauma bonding. I have all the head knowledge, but actually like doing it in my own life, I still have these attachment fears and like abandonment fears that come up. And so it's like, Oh, I got to make that go away. Cause I, as much as I know, this might not be a healthy dynamic. I cannot leave right now. Like Mm -hmm. I physically, mentally, emotionally can't handle that. Like that sounds like too much pain. And so I would drink, but the problem was, is then I would drink and then eventually it still comes out. And, and when alcohol is involved, like you said, you say it in a way that you wouldn't have said it, or I would yell instead of speak. 
And it's like, then you wake up the next day and the only thing that's discussed is the meltdown that you had the night yeah. before. Yeah. And it becomes mm-hmm. about that and not the actual real issue. Like the real issues were never actually addressed or discussed. And because I would feel so guilty about my own behavior, shameful about my own behavior, I would just take all the blame and like take the over responsibility. Cause then it's like, okay, well I'll just, I'll just do better next time. I'll go get more help and I'll, you know, go to another intensive or whatever. None of the things I actually probably needed to be doing, but I just got so stuck in my own shame mm-hmm. and knew that I wasn't proud of my own behavior. And that was the only thing that I would focus on to fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We become the problem. It's like, there's a problem. I always like to talk about the dynamic of, and I, I don't love the terms love addict, love avoidant. I continue to use them because they worked for me in my recovery, but let's just do it for the sake of this uh, little diagram I'm drawing here. But it's like the love addict, the love avoidant come together. Everything's just hot and heavy initially. It seems so great. And then it's, it's almost like I would go into a new relationship and really be in a fairly secure place because between relationships, I would get my shit together. Oh, me too. I'm amazing in between (laughs) relationships. I I am on top of it. Yes. (laughs) Then this guy comes along and would seem, I'd be like, "Mm, I don't know. And then do all the quote unquote right things. And as soon as I turn to face him and say, okay, you seem cool. Let's do it. Let's go for this. There'd be a tiny shift in his behavior or his energy. And that would trigger my insecure, my anxious attachment. And then that's his avoidance starting to move Mm -hmm. away. And I immediately get off my center to run after him and try Mm -hmm. to catch him. And then I'm wobbly because I'm not on my center anymore. And I'm drinking to medicate all this discomfort and what you can't unsee or unknow because your your instincts are like, girl, go run, get away from this guy. But you're like, no, no, no. And so then I regress, say terrible things, become this oversized toddler. And then all of a sudden it's my problem. It's not him. It's me. Oh, I forgot. Did he have an issue? Like, it's like that. Oh, right. It's like, right. What was I mad about? Oh, that's right. No, no, no. You're the real problem, mm-hmm. Kelly. Like, and they're always happy to make you <laughs> to go along with that story. <laughs> oh, because you're such a good salesperson with that story. Mm-hmm. Oh, if I'm sorry, I did that. It's I'm just so insecure. I promise I'll be better. I'll do. And yeah. they're like, yeah, because you're the one with the problem, you know? Right. <laughs> you need to look at that. Mm-hmm. What does your therapist say about that? You know, right. it was all of those things. <laughs> and I'm just happy to like, I, I don't know if I'm happy to do it, but it seems logical to me in the shame spiral. Like it's just th- seems like the easy way out of the shame and out of the possible abandonment. And so to me, when I'm triggered into, you know, we'll call it, we can call it love addiction, attachment, trauma, whatever it is, mm-hmm. when I'm triggered into that, the only thing that I care about is not being abandoned. Right. And it's, I'll do what it's, it takes. Mm-hmm. I'll do what it takes. I'll do as much work as possible. And like we said, like in between relations, like I'm a hard worker. So, you know, I'm not, and I'm not scared to do the deep dive. I I enjoy learning more about myself and I've had enough of the healing pieces of recovery work that I see the benefit. And so like, I'm like, okay, well, it's really painful now, but I'll go look at that and whatever, do the work and get to the other side, which is great. And I think I'll be doing that for the rest of my life. And I'm learning that, like, I can't be the only one in a relationship doing that. That's right. Or else I'm going to keep being triggered back into the same old stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I thought that if I just got healthy enough, I could hold it together for both of us. And, like, I can't. That is where I'm completely powerless. Exactly. And I, exactly. And I, 
you, we were just talking about, I'll do whatever it takes to not be abandoned. And it's not our thinking brain, our rational brain that says that it's our wounded part, you know, it's um, much deeper than that. And so it's, you know, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll be the project. I'll go to therapy and it's control too. So, you know, if I take the blame, if it's my fault, then I can control it. That's right. Yeah. So it helps us feel, you know, like, okay, I can control this. It's not as out of control as it was feeling a bit ago when that abandonment was flaring up. So if I can control it, if I'm just going to do all the work, then I can yeah. make it work. It's more just like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, I'm the problem. Okay, let's get to work then. Like, right. here, let's add something else to the list. And what happened to me the last time was like, I added so much to my list <laughs> that I couldn't function. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like trying to, to quote unquote, figure it out. I have a mentor that always says, figure it out is not one of our slogans. And I think that's the most brilliant thing ever because the more I stay in my mind, the more I'm in all of that stuff, the, yeah. like the wounding piece of it, because I'm just trying to figure out how to, like I said, stay um, or not face the pain. Like I just want to avoid more of that pain because I've had that pain before and it's terrible. And, you know, I think somewhere in me will be like, oh, you can't survive it again. Like you just can't. And it literally can feel like you're going to die. Absolutely. Yep. Which people would think, I think some people who don't feel this way might be like, that feels dramatic, but that is how it feels, which is why the insanity comes in of trying to maintain or stay or not feel those feelings because Mm -hmm. it feels like you're going to die if you feel them. I always felt that way. Like it feels like death. It feels like I'm going to die. Like the world just a big hole just opened up and I'm free falling into the Mm -hmm. dark (laughs) depths of the earth or something. And when Kelly McDaniel came along with mother hunger and in working with her, I can, I mean, she, yes, it is like death because we're talking about pre-verbal stuff, you know, for us. And so even though our brain is like, what's the big deal? I'll, I'll be okay. You know, the wounded part, our little tiny little nervous system part from way pre-verbal is somatically experiencing this moment as I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. If this person does not come toward me and validate me and love me, I, you know, and so there's this, I think she even says in the book and in her book, Mother Hunger, and I think, or I translated it this way. It's almost like there are two parts to us. There's the little tiny baby wounded part of us, you know, and then there's this very, for lack of a better way of putting it, high functioning adult part, you know, who can really, like we said, pull our shit together between relationships. And so they live inside the same body (laughs) and it's very confusing. It's so confusing when they're both (laughs) trying to drive the bus. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure 
it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am like I am where it is. This isn't going to work. I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. So you talked about this most recent tumultuous relationship and mm -hmm. um, do you, can you elaborate on what happened? I know that it was several years off, off yes. on, correct. Okay. Yeah. So for me, uh, I was in this relationship for three years. I would say when I look back, I'm like, oh, I tried to break up six months in the first time. Mm -hmm. And then I continued on for two and a half years. <laughs> so yeah. if that tells you what my stuff looks like, yeah. I don't know. We have very similar stuff. I yeah. think that, okay. yes. <laughs> um, I... You know, it's like when you emailed me about doing this, I was like, you said something like, what does your love addiction look like? And it's been so interesting because I'm, you know, I'm still uncovering that, which is sort of why I think I was nervous getting on this podcast today too, because it's not like I have this figured out, right? And it's like every day I'm learning new stuff and I'm still mm -hmm. going through withdrawal phases of this relationship. And so some days are really ugly for me still. Mm -hmm. And so it can be very like intimidating to talk to you while you're navigating that. And I actually am starting to really see the importance of that because I just think that we isolate ourselves so much. And so you only are seeing the good sides of everybody. And especially with social media, you know, like we all show up with this presentation of us. And I'm like, wait a second, this is why I get so stuck in comparison because I'm comparing my insides to that person's outsides and it makes me crazy. And I don't want to live my life that way. Mm -hmm. Or I don't want to project that onto other people that I have it all figured out because I sure as hell don't. And it's just day to day. But so anyway, with 
part of what I'm figuring out in my love addiction stuff is, and I think this got exacerbated when I went through the canceling of a wedding and all of the pain of what Mm -hmm. that relationship loss was so traumatic for me. And I've done a lot of work around it and it still, you know, can come up in different scenarios. And so what has happened since in my relationships is that once I allow myself to love someone, it is so scary for me to think about losing that person, period. Mm -hmm. And so in like this last relationship, I fell in love and although the flags were there and showing themselves of like, you are not, this is not a healthy dynamic for you. Or, you know, I would see certain things of avoidance that I've experienced before. When I would ask for hard conversations, we could never have them. Mm -hmm. You know, the intermittent reinforcement kind of thing that you talked about where it's like, you're so, so, so in love. And then you feel them kind of pulling away and so like I would get hooked to that dynamic because it would it would be there if I would start to panic and then have to say like try to try to own my recovery and my knowledge and stuff and be like this is not good like I'm not going to be able to stay if this happens it would all turn or if I would set a boundary it would turn and the avoidance that I was feeling he would come back strong stronger and so I it was so confused in my head I just think that that really amplified all of my wounding. And before I knew it, I was just so desperate to keep the relationship and not have to feel the pain of losing someone else I loved that I completely kept abandoning myself over and over and over and over. And that could look like drinking. That could look like trying to pretend like I wasn't having the fearful feelings I was Mm -hmm. having. Um, That would look like abandoning parts of my life, not showing up in my job in the way I needed to, my house was a mess. Like I said that to Kelly when I talked to her, one of the main indications for me of where I am is like, is my house a disaster? And is stuff just everywhere? And like, I'm not the most organized person, but when I'm functioning well in my life and I'm sober Mm -hmm. and I'm like in a good headspace, I can keep on track of things and like Mm -hmm. things have a place. When I'm not, it is just chaos everywhere. Um, And that's because I'm trying to do too much or, you know, like jump into someone else's life. That's like the yeah. main thing. Over-functioning in the relationship, under-functioning in your yeah, own life. Yeah, it's like, yeah. what do you guys need? And there were children in this relationship. And so that just amplified things. Like, I didn't have good boundaries at all around that. And so it mostly, like, what it looks like for me is just self-abandonment mm-hmm. and doing anything that I need to do that might involve me leaving myself but to be able to stay with this person that I love or this, you know, relationship that I just am not willing to lose. Yeah. I like the way you just reframe that. <laughs> that I love and or is it a relationship that I'm just not willing to lose, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, and that's also something I've been thinking about lately. Love. You know, we believe that if we love someone, we should work hard at it and make it work. But then how much are we say, right? Well, it's all this romantic idea, which is a whole nother podcast episode, but you know, it's also how much am I loving myself Mm -hmm. if I am staying in this and trying to make it work? So. Well, and then the other thing I do is like, well, they said this. So, you know, I'll like latch on to certain words and I'll 
forget about actions. And so my body is like freaking out because it's like their actions are not lining up with their words here, sister. Like, hello, (laughs) are you paying attention? And so internally I'm like panic, 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 which again is where alcohol would come into play of like, no, but he said this. So like, yeah, 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 he did that. But like, eh, whatever, he said this, that's not what it is. It's what he said, because that's what I want to believe so I can stay, right? Yep. Literally, they can see, be like, spell it out for me. This is who I am. Look at my actions. I'm showing you. And it's like my Angelou has that quote that says, like, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. That is my love addiction. No, it's like they're showing me who that it is, but we can change them because mm-hmm. they, they want to heal too. And, you know, they've had trauma too. Like, I'll go through all these. It's not like I'm trying to, in my head, I'm not trying to change the person from who they are. I just want the healed version of them. Mm-hmm. And so it seems kind and loving. <laughs> it's the potential. It's the potential. I can see the potential. You know, I see this person's potential. I'm just going to hang in there. Yeah. <laughs> they have it. They're a good person at their heart, you know, yeah. and that's, and I, I don't think that that's not true, but I have to look at what they're able to give me in the moment. And mm-hmm. usually if I'm having those thoughts, I'm not getting what I need or the relationship is not a functioning relationship for me. Right. Or or one that I can stay out of my own stuff. Well, and I also think, and I've also been thinking about this lately, is that just because someone's a good person doesn't mean they're going to be a good partner for us. You know, Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. like if someone is sober, it doesn't mean they're going to be a good partner for us. Or just because someone's in therapy doesn't mean they're going to be a good partner for us. You know, but when we're in our love addiction, it's like, but he's in therapy and he's really working on this stuff, but he just quit drinking and it's going to get so much better. Or, you know, there's all (laughs) these things and that those are great. Those are great. But we have to look at what's going on for me right now. How much am I able to respect and love myself in this particular situation? Right. And if you would have asked me that about my last relationship, there was definitely not a whole lot of love or respect for myself happening. Mm -hmm. I actually think it was probably down to zero by the end of it because it was exactly what we were talking about. Like the way I was behaving I was so ashamed of just who I had become. Like I didn't even recognize myself, nor did I like the person that I was. But again, there were these pieces that I just was so hooked to and did not, I was so scared of losing. And I mean, I would be lying if I said that that wasn't a really hard thing to leave, you know, and it's still hard on a lot of days, but ultimately I know that I wouldn't be able to grow or thrive in that situation because I was just completely abandoning myself over and over and over and it wasn't going to get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does Eventually. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Everything you're saying, I'm not only tracking, I am relating to all of this. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's all very similar and really, you know, it's not that we're unique in this. I think that in love addiction, there is a even though everyone's love addiction looks different or attachment trauma looks different or behavior in relationships, there is a, almost a script that takes place with a lot of gray in between the lines. But, you know, all of our cases can look very, very similar, but, but also very, very different. Yeah. I was just thinking, as you were saying that one of my biggest challenges with, I think, getting hooked on the potential is, you know, my parents, as I grew up, had a dysfunctional relationship when I was younger. 
And then they got in recovery. And so it's been a really confusing journey because I've watched my parents change Mm -hmm. and like heal a lot of their stuff. I mean, of course, they're not perfect and they would be the first ones to tell you that. But because of that, it's almost like I have this real attachment to no, everyone can change because I've seen it happen. You know, it's really challenging for me to accept that one, some people just don't want to. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. I I don't understand that for some reason. It's not how my brain works. And if you told me I was hurting you in some capacity or I wasn't showing up in a way that was helpful to the relationship, I would constantly want to like dig deeper and and work on myself or try to grow or change things. So there's that piece of it. And then that they might not want to or that they're just like not willing to do the work, you know? Mm -hmm. And so both of the, because I just, not, I'm not trying to put myself on like, oh, toot my own horn here. That's just not how my brain works. And mm-hmm. so it's very hard for me to grasp. And especially after seeing what my parents did and the work that they put in and how they did change and evolve, um, that that's just not how everyone works. And so right. accepting people at face value and for actually who they are saying they are and showing you who they are is like times 10 for me because of all those dynamics. Yeah, because what I'm hearing in that is that, um, it's which goes with our love addiction pattern is that once this changes, yeah, then this person, right. Then it will be what I needed or want it to be. Right. It'll be great. But it's, but see what that says is it, it right now, right. It's not working. Right. I wouldn't choose this relationship, but I know it's going to change. And so once it changes, I'm going to And someone asked me, someone said to me, if the relationship stays like it is today for the rest of your life, would you want it? And I was like, oh, hell no. Like it was like a hard no answer. Like I knew I could not exist in this relationship for the rest of my life in the way that it was going. And she said, well, that's your answer. Mm -hmm. It's not about what it could be or if you Mm -hmm. guys got into recovery together or did all this therapy work together, what the potential is. It's what it is today if nothing changes because we can't change another person and we can't control what kind of work or not work they do, you know, none of that. And so like the willingness piece that they would have. And so it's just like accepting it as it is today. And that was when I knew like I had to make a different decision. For anyone who's listening, thinking, okay, yeah, this, this sounds like me. This sounds like something I need to work on, want to work on. What would you recommend for anyone who's just getting started in their journey, love addiction recovery? Well, one, I would say be gentle with yourself because I think the idea of accepting this stuff is is more difficult or it was more difficult for me than I ever anticipated that it would be. Um, And because of that, it can get overwhelming if you start to just, you know, try to digest everything all at once, which as a love addict is one of my tendencies as well is just to be like, okay, what book do I need to read? What therapy, like what breathwork session, what astrology, like I'll go do all of it thinking that that's going to fix me. And for me, Now, the thing I've realized is it is literally the reason they say, you know, one day at a time, next right step, those kind of things is because that's all that really I can tolerate as I go through this healing process, because it can just be really overwhelming. And these wounds didn't get here overnight. You know, most of them are some relationship dynamic from your childhood, which is so old that it's so unconscious because it's been a part of your life forever. So One, I would just say be gentle with yourself and um, know it's a process. Like it's not going to get fixed overnight and that's okay. Like that doesn't mean 
that you're not okay. The Pia Melody book, Facing Love Addiction, mm-hmm. was my first toe dip. You know, my therapist gave it to me mm, five or six years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like reading it, like when she first, she pulled the book out of the bookshelf. And she said, this is what this sounds like. This was my relationship before this last one. And it was the same dynamic where it was completely tumultuous and dysfunctional and not good for me, but I could not leave. Like I would try and I kept going back or whatever. She said, this sounds like love addiction. And she pulled the book off her shelf and I was like, no, 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 Mm -hmm. no. I'm already in recovery for codependency and all these non issues. Like I've got this, you know, there's not going to be another thing you're going to add to my list. But she was like, just go home and like start reading this and see what comes up. And I did. And it was just like one thing after another, like, yep, 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 yep. So that hit me, but I wasn't ready. Like I still wasn't ready to fully like do the work or dive in or take on a new 12-step program or work the steps again or whatever it looked like. And so I just decided I would make some different decisions and get in another relationship. And sure enough, it was the same thing. And so I think it's more just like, knowing that you have the choice. You don't have to do this work, but like if you're finding yourself in a pattern that's just not serving you anymore or you want something different from your relationships, that option is out there and you just have to like do the work and it works if you work it. You know, they say that for a reason too. And so I'm just kind of diving into all of that myself, but it's it's just about taking it one step at a time and knowing that the option for something different is there and it doesn't have to always be like this. Thanks for listening to the Velvet's Edge podcast with Kelly Henderson, where we believe everyone has a little velvet and a little edge. Subscribe for more conversations on life, style, beauty, and relationships. Search Velvet's Edge wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net.